Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. see everybody and and I appreciate you choosing to worship with us on this holiday weekend. I know a lot of folks travel this time of year to get summer kicked off and I appreciate you being here with us First Baptist Barberville. So since the beginning of the year we've been working through the narrative of scripture and we're, we're almost halfway through 2022 which is hard to believe isn't it? But think about how far we've come through Scripture, starting with the creation story and seeing the fall of man and seeing how God promised then to redeem mankind and He went about preserving a a line of people. He chooses a nation for Himself and that through this people and out of this people would come the promised Savior. We've seen how that nation, that group of people had moments of great faithfulness, but then largely how they departed from their faith many times. And recently we've read how that nation, the nation of Israel, was divided into two kingdoms, the north and the south, Israel and Judah, because they turned their back on God. And that, I mean, just think about this this history. It sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? And so we've seen how God has had to judge them, how He's handed them over to the nations around them for judgment in order to turn their hearts back to them and get them to repent. We've seen time and time again how God has had great mercy and grace on these people. Uh, We've seen the grace that He has in the way that He cares for them and provides for them, even fights for them. And He gives them opportunity after opportunity to turn back to Him every time they turn their hearts to another God. In our reading plan this week, we read from several of the prophets who, like Elijah that we talked about last week, preached the truth to God's people. Uh, These prophets tried to encourage the leaders, tried to encourage the people to, to again, repent and turn back to the Lord. Things would eventually get so bad in Israel and in Judah that the other nations of the world, the nations around them, will begin to actually look down on them. And the prophet Joel, that's where we're going to be this morning in Joel chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there. Joel picks up on this theme and he tries to offer a course of correction for God's people so that, as he says, they will no longer be a disgrace or, as some translations say, a reproach among the nations. I'll be honest with you this morning. This is one of those difficult sermons. If you came to get a feel-good sermon today, I just apologize in advance. This is one that we need to hear, but it's not comfortable. Turn to Joel chapter 2, if you would. We're going to look at verses 12 through 19. The prophet says this, Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, Weeping and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and He relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him so that you can offer a grain offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God. 
Blow the ram's horn in Zion. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the aged. Gather the infants, even babies nursing at the breast. Let the groom leave his bedroom and the bride her honeymoon chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, have pity on your people, Lord. And do not make your inheritance a disgrace, an object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Verse 18 says, Then the Lord became jealous for His land, and He spared His people. The Lord answered His people, Look, I'm about to send you grain, new wine, and fresh oil. You will be satiated with them, and I will no longer make you a disgrace. Among the nations. This is tough stuff. This is tough stuff in the history of God's people, and it's tough stuff for us today because it applies directly, I believe, to where we are as a nation in 2022. Now, listen very carefully. The United, United States, States is not Israel, we're not one and the same. However, there are many similarities between us and between the history of that nation and our nation. And like we've already said before, the physical history of the nation of Israel often reflects our spiritual history as individuals or even as a nation ourselves. And far too often we found our own nation, the United States, in a similar situation that Israel found themselves in in the Old Testament, facing God's judgment experiencing national shame because of national sin. And, and the way that we have, as the prophets would say, prostituted ourselves with the false gods of the world while turning our back on the one true God we talked about last week. Now, not only do we owe it to God to make a correction, right? We owe it, today especially Memorial Day, to the men and women the 1.1 million men and women who have sacrificed their own lives to make this nation what it is. And we owe it to them and to the Lord to take a stand for this nation and stand up for what is right and godly and biblical to preserve this nation and help make this nation not just better or great, but make it godly once again. I think right now we're beginning to see ourselves disgraced among the nations. I'm just going to be very blunt with you today. Is that okay? Sometimes we need a little bit of that. I'm afraid that our country is being disgraced among the nations just as Israel was disgraced among the nations in their day in Joel's time. Now, I know somebody's thinking, now, this is, these are fighting words, preacher. You can't talk about our country like that. This is the greatest nation on the face of the planet. What are you talking about? Let me preface this in case you don't know Tyler. There's, there, I would be hard-pressed to say there's anybody more patriotic than Pastor Tyler in the room this morning. And I know that's we're patriotic, right? But I love our nation. And there's no other place in the world that I'd rather live. And I would willingly lay my life down for this nation. But we've got problems. And I want to talk about that this morning. Let me give you some examples one organization compared our country, the United States, with about 30 other similar industrialized nations. And here's what they, they found. They found that the United States is among the highest for unemployment. We're among the highest for food insecurity, which means in the past year you did not have the means 
to purchase enough food for your family. We are all the way down at 23rd for life expectancy. We have the highest, by far the highest, per capita prison population, more than double the next country below us. We're the lowest, though, in one area. Our students tend to score the lowest average in math compared to many other nations. Pew Research found that many of our closest allies today believe that the United States plays a, quote, less important and less powerful role as a world leader compared to just 10 years ago. We look around, we see that national debt and inflation are both soaring out of control. Many experts say, if you're watching the news, there could be a food shortage in the United States sometime within the next year. Now, I encourage you, I'm not just saying this for rhetoric, when you go to the store, go ahead and buy a couple cans of food between now and next year. And again, I'm not saying all this to bash our country. I love it. I love the United States, and I've seen other places the world has to offer, and I can assure you, you want to be an American. God bless our country. However, I also believe that we're on a dangerous and destructive track that we've been on for some time now. And the cause and the solution, they're not just educational, it's not just political, it's not just racial, and it's not just social issues. The cause and the solution are very much spiritual issues. The nation of Israel continued over time to give themselves over to the worship of false gods, primarily the, the, this Canaanite god by the name of Baal. And the result was that they were laughed at by their enemies. They suffered the consequences of their sins. They were eventually conquered and exiled. I pray to God that does not happen to us. And they became a complete disgrace, as Joel says, among the nations because they did not repent from their sin, even though God gave them opportunity after opportunity. My fear is that we too, even today in 2022, have given ourselves over to the worship of this false god by the name of Baal. Now let me explain. Baal worship in ancient Canaan involved several key elements. And the first was sexual immorality and religious prostitution. And let me just say, we're guilty of this today. Here's how. The pornography industry in the United States today is a multi-billion with a B dollar industry every single year. American media and filmmakers have normalized sexual immorality slowly but surely over the decades. And maybe we've forgotten, but only seven years ago in 2015, the United States Supreme Court ruled in Obergefell versus Hodges that all state bans on same-sex marriage were unconstitutional, thus making homosexual marriage legal across the United States. Have we forgotten that was only seven years ago? A second key element of Baal worship in ancient Canaan was the killing of young children. And human sacrifice. Thank you for the ones that came out last Sunday night to the prayer service and the pro-life march from our church up to the court square. We estimate about 500 people came together from our various churches and participated in that. And by the way, the, <laughs> the pro-choice rally that was supposed to happen Thursday ended up getting canceled. Isn't that cool? If you weren't there, though, 
we were reminded several times how on January 22, 1973, the United States Supreme Court issued a decision on Roe versus Wade. And we were reminded how since that time, some 63 million of our own babies have been sacrificed on the altar that we call choice. Also, and you've got to understand this as well, there are more organizations today uh, than more than ever who are committed to legalizing assisted suicide and euthanasia for life on the other end of the spectrum. We simply don't value life anymore. And so while we may not bow down to this idol called Baal, we do participate in the worship of this false pagan Canaanite God in ways that are so similar to God's people so long ago. And if we're not careful, church, we will find ourselves facing a similar fate on a personal and even national level. So the question is, what do we do about it? Joel gives us the solutions this morning in our text. And the first thing that we see is if we're going to make any change, it will start with me. I want everybody, you can say it out loud if you want to or say it in your head. It will start with me. Every great move of God throughout history, every great revival, every awakening has begun with one or two people doing exactly what the prophet Joel describes in Joel chapter 2. We have to realize that any solution to the problems in our society, to the problems in our government, to the problems in our schools... God help the Southern Baptist Convention. The solution to the problems in the Southern Baptist Convention, they're not going to be solved from the top down, but solved from the bottom up. And so if you want things to be different in your church and in your community and even in your country, it demands that you take responsibility for that change personally. Joel says we need to make a resolution in our lives to allow God to first work in our own hearts. He says, tear your hearts. Turn to God with all of your hearts. Repent from giving any part of your heart to another God, like we talked about last week from the prophet Isaiah, and turn wholeheartedly to the Lord. He says, turn to God with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Tear your heart, not just your clothes, but be moved deep inside of your own heart. And we see on the news every day, and we read about it on Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff, all these evils that people are doing, shooting up schools, stealing money, taking lives, all of this, and it breaks our hearts. I understand that. But if we're truly going to correct the course of a country, we must first each examine our own hearts. Personally, repent from our own sin and turn to God. And maybe the sins that we're so guilty of aren't necessarily sins of commission. Most of us are pretty decent people. But I would venture to say that the greatest sin that many of us commit is a sin of omission. The sin of being silent for far too long. And in our repentance, I think we need to make a personal resolution saying that I'm now going to stand up for the things of God. We have let too much just slip by and stood back silent. Now I'm going to stand up for the inerrancy and infallibility of God's Word and its truth. I'm going to stand up for the God-ordained family unit. I'm going to stand up for the unborn and the aged. I'm going to stand up and protect life from the womb to the tomb. And I'm going to be a Christian that's not ashamed of the gospel. A Christian that's not ashamed to let people see or hear me pray. And live out my faith. I want to pray if revival's to come, God, let it begin with me. 
1872, there's a story about D.L. Moody taking a trip to England to hear some other preachers. Uh, His church had burned down, and so he was going around listening to some of these uh, English pastors. And he he took a trip uh, to England, and, and he, of course, being over there, he was asked to preach. He didn't want to, but he obliged the church and he, he gets up and he, he said the whole atmosphere in this church that morning was just cold and, and dead. And he, he went so far uh, to, to re- even regret doing that. And then worse, he, he said, I told him I'd come back the next night. But then when he came back that evening, he said something had drastically changed for whatever reason. And he said, quote, the powers of an unseen world seemed to have fallen upon the audience. And towards the end of his sermon, he felt led by God's Spirit to extend an invitation for people to be saved. He said when he asked them to simply stand where they are to receive Christ, some 500 people stood to their feet to be saved. And D.L. Moody thought, this this can't be right. They, They must not understand what I'm saying. So he told them, sit back down. And he tried his best to clarify the gospel and make the invitation as clear as he possibly could. And he extended it again and said the same 500 people rose to their feet to be saved. And again, he thought something, something's off here. He had them sit. And so as, as plainly as he could, he, he said, I want everyone who truly wants to receive Christ today, stand where you are. And again, the same 500 people stood to be saved. And I'll share that story to share this one. There was a bedfast woman in England who had been praying for D.L. Moody to be able to come to Europe and preach the gospel and to preach specifically in London. Now, her sister who took care of her had attended church that Sunday morning and she heard D.L. Moody preach. She came back home and she said, uh, told her that D.L. Moody was there and she said, oh my goodness. Here's what she said. She said, if I had known that he was going to preach this morning, I would have eaten no breakfast. I would have spent the whole time in prayer. Now, sister, go out of my room, lock the door, send me no dinner, no matter who comes. Don't let them see me because I'm going to spend the whole afternoon and evening in prayer. And the point is that while D.L. Moody was preaching that evening, this bedfast saint was in her bedroom praying to God that God would do something. And that led to those 500 people being saved in a cold, dead church that sparked revival in that church and in that community. The point is, it always starts with one. And our prayer today must be, God, let it begin with me in my heart. Second thing we learn from Joel is that it will be led by the church. He calls for a solemn assembly. He says, gather the people, sanctify the congregation. He specifically says, listen, no one's exempt from this, even those who are normally excused from such meetings. This takes everyone. Gather the entire nation in unison from the newborn to the aged. And notice who leads the way. It's the priest. It's the Lord's minister's who lead the prayer. And the word translated here for congregation, it's used all throughout the Old Testament to refer to God's people, to refer to Israel or His chosen people, an assembly of God's people. It would later be indicative of the church in the New Testament where we see God's people gathered together for a common purpose in unity. See, the, the change that we desire and that we so desperately need today, I believe with all my heart, will be led by the church, acting in unity, led by men who are not afraid to stand up for what's right and godly. You see, the only organization on the face of planet Earth 
that has the solution to any of the world's problems is the church. Do you realize how important Christ's church is? Who else is going to make the gospel known? Who else is going to lead a nation or even a community to follow God? It's not going to be any other organization. The government's not going to do it. Another nonprofit or parachurch organization is not going to do it. Entrepreneurs and philanthropists can't do it. It has to be the church who has the gospel solution. And in the early 20th century, revival swept through the Welsh church, and it radically changed Welsh society for a good long time. And let me just share some of the thoughts that one author had. So as a consequence of the Welsh revival, crime rate in the country reduced by almost 100%. The rate of criminal convictions reduced to almost zero. The police became idle, and rather than being preoccupied with chasing and catching criminals, they became preoccupied with supervising the human traffic of people attending and leaving church services. Can you imagine if we had to have police out here waving traffic because there's so many people trying to get into church? He says it was reported that during court sessions, the magistrates showed up in court only to find out there were no criminal cases to try. The judges were given white gloves, which signified that there were no court cases to be tried. The alcohol industry almost went extinct because people stopped drinking alcohol, and many pubs had to close because people were attending church meetings instead. Drunkenness also reduced significantly. Men became responsible, and rather than wasting their money on various vices, they brought their money home and provided for their family's needs. According to a report at the time, men who had not taken one penny home in 17 years now took it all home. Furthermore, husbands became more loving while broken friendships were restored. The use of foul words reduced as people opted for uncorrupted words. For instance, people who used to deface bridges and walls with obscene words replaced these words with quotes from the Bible and even hymn books. In short, the Welsh revival resulted in an internal transformation for the people and for the society. Can you imagine what that would do to the United States of America if the church became so on fire that we radically changed our society? That per capita prison rate dropped down to where it needed to be. But here's the beautiful part, final point this morning. While we deserve whatever God gives us, that's the pill we've got to swallow. We deserve His judgment for our silence, for allowing our children to be murdered. God does make us a promise. And He says when we humble ourselves and pray, and we seek His face, and we turn from our wicked ways, that He will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and He promises to do what? Heal our land. The last point is, if we do all this, it will show God's grace. Will we move as a nation from disgrace into grace? Anything that we receive that's good is nothing but God's amazing grace. Joel says that God becomes jealous for us once again. And instead of giving us everything that we deserve, He sends grain and new wine, and fresh oil to the point that we're completely satiated and satisfied in God Himself and no longer a disgrace among the nations. And what these three things signify when God sends grain, it means that He's given us everything that we need, that He gives us our daily bread. 
And we find all of our sustenance in Him alone. He gives us new wine, which is representative of His Holy Spirit. New wine to put in these new wine skins that He gives us as He makes us right through Christ. And then He gives us fresh oil. Fresh oil is this outpouring of God's grace. As He says, He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies and anoints our head with oil so that our cups overflow. I want that kind of grace from God in my life. And more importantly, I want that kind of grace, that favor from God in the United States once again. Once again. And if you want it to, remember, it starts with you. You, each and every individual here, holds the key to that possibility becoming a reality. It starts with us. And as we all individually turn to God, we, we unite together as the church. And the church can lead the change that this nation and this world so desperately needs. So my question is, are you willing to make your heart right with God today? Are you, are you truly willing to allow the Holy Spirit to look deep within your own heart and point out the, not only the things that you've done, but the things that you've failed to do, and then repent from that and make a commitment to following God, standing up for God, not being silent anymore, setting aside your agendas, your, even your politics, and standing up for what the Word actually says. Ouch. I think we should pray now, huh? Let's stand together as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, first of all, we, we have so much to be thankful for. God, thank you for being gracious to us as a people as a nation and God even as a, a country Lord we, we've failed you so many times in our short history Lord I'm thankful for the ones that have gone before us that many times when that wrong was pointed out had the resolve and the fortitude to correct it and to repent from things like slavery racial injustice God, now there's more that we need to turn from. And God, I, the government doesn't get it. Society doesn't get it. God, I pray that your church would get it and that we would lead the change. God, that, that there could be a revival in this country again. And Lord, we know it has to start in each of our own hearts. So Lord, today I pray that your spirit would just search us. Reveal to us, God, where we've, we've missed the mark. And God, just give us a little more grace. Give us an opportunity, some time to turn from our wrongs before it's too late. Lord, I pray that we don't have to be judged the way that your chosen people had to be judged. That we'll choose to follow you before it gets that far. Lord, I pray that whatever change comes, that it starts in my heart, that you would use each and every one of us as individuals to set your church on fire, that she could change the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you just need to come and talk to the Lord, this altar is open. If there's a decision that you need to share with your church family, why don't you come this morning? 
we sing, give us clean hands. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.